You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. I'm in my home office right now. I, uh, since I do all the design work for the firm and, you know, it's quieter to do sales calls and design work here in the morning and then uh, get everybody started over at the factory and then I'll head in and fill in wherever I can. Yeah. You know, it's a heady entrepreneurial startup. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. I enjoyed our conversation over the phone about it and about how it all began. It was really, yeah. really enlightening. I mean, you know, you had your military career. Now, did you go through Whiting Field? I forgot to ask you. Did you go through Whiting Field? Okay, I'm from that area. No way, really? Yeah, Milton, Florida, believe it or not. So, Milton, Florida. I have many, many uh, hours in Milton. When did you go? Sure. Th- when did you go through fight school there? Uh, that would have been. 86. Okay. VT2 ah. uh, Thunderbirds. No, not Thunderbirds. Doerbirds. Okay. VT2 Doerbirds. That's what we were. That was pretty cool. My dad served and retired there. That's how I ended up there. And he was part of VT3. Oh, no way. Yeah. Very good. I remember that uh, I think that when I was going, in, I was in flight school there, that Emmett Smith was at, what, Escambia High? Yeah. Playing yes. football. Yes. Isn't that crazy? We went to a football game watched him as a high schooler right it's unbelievable then he went on to go to uh, university of florida after that and of course you probably yeah. see all my stuff back here in the background uh, ah, <laughs> very good very good i love it yeah i know of Emmett, of course you know being there at the university and then of course what he did dallas cowboys but he's done a lot since then as well within just community work and such just amazing guy yeah he really is and you know a class act and yeah. i think uh we can go on and on about how few examples there are in our current world or modern world of people who can attain success and wealth and notoriety and still maintain that that class and that, uh, well, we just call it a coda, holding ourselves to a higher standard. And I'm, you know, in terms of athletes, you know, I saw that they just gave out the Walter Payton Award. And, uh, you know, I was telling my kids, they were, who's Walter Payton? Oh, gosh, isn't that something? They yeah. said, you know what? Walter Play- Payton was one of the class acts of all professional sports yeah, ever. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, uh, you know, it's great that we still have some of those examples left. And I think that maybe the, the propensity of people who have achieved fame and wealth uh, hopefully will be turning back to, you know, let's all try and be classy and and role models and examples you know not uh you know i hate the word but elitist yeah yeah uh, most definitely where, where did you go after whiting i For- went to meridian okay mississippi gotcha. um so uh that was at that point it was called uh basic jet and advanced jet i think or in, intermediate jet and advanced jet okay so flew the t2 and the a4 that was great you know, just a fantastic experience. I loved it. When did you guys start doing the actual touch and goes on aircraft carriers? Was that while you were at Whiting or was that later? No, that was at uh, Meridian. So okay. it's in the T2. Okay. And I can tell you right now, I remember circling overhead and seeing that carrier because you do it solo. Right. Oh, God, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. First time you land on the carrier, you're solo. And so uh, I remember being above the carrier, looking down at that gargantuan thing scared to death and i remember being on it i don't remember anything in between (laughs) (laughs) that was my first carrier landing oh my god that was quite an experience so you made it first time 
I made it the first time. Yep. Yeah. You Dwight know. D. Eisenhower. Was it smooth MCN seas? Sixty-nine. That was my first carrier landing. Was it uh, smooth seas that day, or, or yeah, how was the I weather? Don't, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I love I it. I think that we went out there and we had to, uh, you know, you take off out of. Uh, we were at a Mayport, Florida, I think, for that uh, carrier call, and uh, you take off. You go and circle overhead the carrier, then they call you down, and you do your first trap on the carrier. And it all happens so fast. Yeah. And they put you up on the catapult. They launch you. And I think that you had to do, I mean, you're really taxing my memory, but I, six or seven carrier landings. So you just go in the pattern, then you come down and land again and okay. take off, land again, take off, land again. And I want to say that it was seven um, carrier landings. And then you went back to the beach and that was your qual. Okay. But... I still actually have my, you know, we had kneeboard cards back then, you know, little cards that we would write on and we'd have a, a kneeboard that would be strapped to our leg and we'd put that kneeboard card on there. And I still have my kneeboard card from that. Oh, that's awesome. Thing, flight. And uh, I was sweating so bad that the, the card is literally cut in half at an angle because I just, <laughs> I just sweated right through the darn thing. But somewhere in my uh, basement here, I've got, Got that uh, carrier qual kneeboard card. Well, you know, there's just something. Basic. I loved every minute of it. Well, there's something special about Navy pilots. I mean, you think about the fact that you guys have to land on a football field, less, you know, and, and moving seas. How often did you do that throughout your military career? Was that was that the only time that you had that experience, or did you? 292 times. Two hundred ninety-two times. Two hundred. Wow. And luckily, my uh, takeoffs equal my landings. So, yeah, that's uh, good. As we say. Yeah. But I always tell people, you know, it doesn't say a whole lot for my intelligence because somebody said, hey, you know, we want you to take this $40 million jet and fly it off of a boat. And I said, okay, that makes sense to me. You know, they're like, boy, I'll tell you what, man could probably not do a more foolish thing. <laughs> but we do it. Yeah. We do it well. You know, I'm very proud to have been a part of that group of people. Very proud to be a part of the Tomcat community. Very proud to have been selected to go to Top Gun. And just very proud, even though the jets have advanced, the ops have advanced so far beyond my experience now. I'm just proud that, you know, I'm part of that community. Now, they moved Top Gun, didn't they, from Miramar, or is it still there? No, they, they moved it to Fallon, Okay, I believe. And uh, uh, I don't really know. I know that when I was in the reserves, one of my last things I did in the reserves was go out there. I was just in an intel unit. Uh, but we, I went out to Fallon to go to the, the school and talk to the guys. And, um, there were a lot of changes going on and, and who was able to go to Top Gun, what they were teaching. I don't know what it's like today, but when I went through, it was still, uh, the Top Gun right, that, uh, right. you know, it was since Vietnam. And, uh, you know, it's just a great, it's, it's much different than what people think you go there, not to just become a stud and learn how to, you know, be an expert at dogfighting. You learn how to be, uh, you know, have advanced skills in the art of dogfighting and mission planning and mission execution, but your role and responsibility is to go back to your squadron then and deliver that as an instructor to the rest of your squadron, because not everybody can go to Top Gun. 
And, uh, you know, that was quite a responsibility. That's hammered into you from the first minute you sit down at Top Gun is you're here to go back and spread this knowledge. You're not here to be, you know, the only guy in your squadron that knows how to do this stuff. Right. And uh, that's very, very important. Very much uh, a train the trainer type of philosophy. Then It is a train the train the trainer kind of thing. And, you know, which is even more common now, and at least in the tip of the spear kind of uh, unit in the military. Yeah. So, so did Tom Cruise come after or before you? I, I started flying Tomcats the summer <laughs> after at Miramar, the summer after that movie came oh, out. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And it, it was like being a rock star. Oh, I bet. <laughs> do you have the whole motorcycle was, running down the runway? Crazy. Yeah. No, I never had a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never got to ride on the runway. Uh, it's just crazy. I mean, uh, that movie, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, was that movie accurate? And I'm like, look, all I can tell you is that the feeling that it gave you uh, was exactly was exactly what it was like to fly that airplane. Everything else is Hollywood. Right. But uh what that did that people, I, I try and explain to people today, and this goes into a lot of the reason I started Coda Longboards. You remember in 1986, you know, this country, the confidence was low. It felt like we couldn't do anything right. We had just come out of the Iran hostage thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ronald Reagan was elected. People had a, were beginning to have more of a, a positive outlook for the future. And, but it was hard. I mean, it took, two terms of, of Reagan's administration to see any growth in the economy. But in pop culture, pop culture still has such a palpable effect on, on America. When that movie came out, whether you knew anything about naval aviation or you had any affiliation or affinity for the military or not, that movie, people came out of that movie feeling more confident than when they went in. They Tomorrow, I want to wake up and be maverick. Right, right. I want to go out and kick ass. And that that had such a palpable impact on turning the atmosphere of our American society and our economy around. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing the same sort of things happen now. I, I tell people, look, you know, when I, I look at pop culture, I'm not a... You know, I go to movies occasionally, but I I keep my finger on the pulse of that because it's meaningful. You know, you look at the uh, uh, Avengers series and you look at, you know, early on it was Iron Man, you know, the wealthy, arrogant, you know, kind of person. And, you know, that has all the toys and he goes around and he's you want to love him and hate him because he saves people. But he's a jerk and, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) Well, you look at the evolution what totally took over from the Iron Man franchise? Captain America, the World War II Boy Scout. Yeah, right? it's true. Yeah. And now that his character is really the one that's driving that series of movies. And then I just look at what's coming out in July of this year. Wonder Woman. And, you know, CODA stands for Knights of the Air, which uh, stands for a code of honor, integrity, courage, esprit de corps. That is the hallmark in the culture of fighter aviation ever since World War One, a hundred years ago. What does, uh, at least for the trailers I've seen, what does Wonder Woman start out with? A World War One aviator crashing on her island. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that emotionally gets Americans 
remembering that we don't wallow in self-pity and, and fear, we kick ass around the world and that we need to get back to a, I, I call it, uh, we have been in a very, what I would consider to be exploitive uh, economic environment for the last 15 years. You know, there are two ways to make wealth. One, of, one way is for me to take your wealth away from you, which is kind of the scenario we've been in for the last 15 years. The other is, hey, let's build a bigger pie and let's, everybody expands, the economy expands, we employ more people, people have more disposable income, they buy more things, the economy gets going in it and it expands and everybody wins. Well, I think we're moving from that, I'm taking your wealth away from you kind of modus operandi into now this, what I hope is an economy that emerges much like it did in the late 80s and then all through the 90s. I mean, there was a 15 year run of economic expansion yeah, boom. in this country. Yeah. And we, we're, we're about to go back into that because I think that the psyche of Americans is changing now. Uh, we're gaining our confidence. We're, we're regaining our confidence. We're going out there and saying, you know what? I just want to do something that makes me feel better about who I am and what I'm doing. And I want to build a bigger pie. I don't know how to do it. Uh, you know, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. This is exactly why I started this company. You know, longboard skateboards, who knew? Right. I mean, did I, I didn't even skateboard until I started making them. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I started the company because I recognized that we had the ability to put a brand together that stood for those qualities that start to remind people of who we really are as a culture in America. And that, you know, by focusing on those qualities and focusing on the, you know, let's, let's be bold, let's be courageous, let's do things that we never thought that we would be doing. And, but let's do it as a community. Let's do it in a manner that doesn't single me out necessarily as doing something that you're not doing or that you can't do, but say, hey, I'm doing this. Why don't you come with me? And we can both do it. Again, it, it goes back to September 11th, obviously, much like when Kennedy was killed and Lincoln, I'm sure. You know, Americans, that rocks our world. And it really, uh, the first thing to go is our confidence. Everybody, immediately ratchets into risk aversion. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, risk aversion is the cancer on a free market economy. Yeah. And uh, we've wallowed in that for an excessively long period of time because of what happened on September 11th. I mean, the entire country has BTS, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and we're still dealing with that. It'll take another decade for us to reconcile that. And it will only happen when we start to have economic growth in this country. But what's happening now, I think, and I, I think whether you love the or love or hate the outcome of the election, what that signified is people being very frustrated and dissatisfied with the status quo. And that is where I think people are saying, you know what, we need to somehow get our psyche and get ourselves out of the uh, fear and lacking confidence uh uh, atmosphere that we've been in for the last 15 years and let's go out and make change. Let's affect change. And, uh, that's, I'm hoping and I expect that that is what's going to happen because that is part and parcel as to why I started code long words in the first place. And, uh, the brand carries that message and, uh, the activity of longboarding in middle age fits right into that, but it's really about the brand for us. And, um, you know, I think that that, if you understand 
where we are culturally as a society, where we are politically, where we are economically, that you know we're really coming to the end of what I would consider to be the 40-year macro cycle economically. Uh, you have micro cycles in there that come and go, right. but the macro cycle is a 40-year macro cycle, and it has everything to do with the confidence of Americans. You know, so, uh, and it's interesting or, that you say that too, because when you think about businesses, you're absolutely right. As soon as they started seeing that people were withholding their money and they were becoming very risk adverse, of course, <laughs> then businesses started becoming very risk averse as well. And they started not hiring staff. They started retaining income to make more acquisitions instead of growing organically. In a lot of cases, they were they were going out and trying to grow through uh, mergers and acquisitions, and you're seeing that more and more today. And at some point, you want to see them use that money to stimulate growth by hiring Americans <clears throat> and by building back the infrastructure of this country. And, uh, you know, I, I think the way you described it is is really interesting. And when you also go back to the period that you described as well, in the 86 to 90 period, we had a big boom in dot coms in innovation coming out with technology and the whole bit right. and then it mm-hmm. kind of filtered out and stuff later on 15 years later of course when 9-11 happened yeah well we we love bubbles in this country mm-hmm. and uh we will over promote and we will over invest in something that has momentum and then you know it'll it'll bubble and it'll collapse but typically what happens is out of that the innovation the baseline innovation that drove that market is it stays and a whole new market is created out of that innovation. So I was, I was out of the Navy and I was involved in uh, peripherally the dot com uh, activity. I was doing more uh, financial services at that point. But when that collapsed, I mean, it was, it, yeah, we bubbled that market. The dot com was a huge bubble. And then it all, there were, there were so many companies that were in, heavily invested in. They really had nothing mm-hmm. uh, going for them, and or it was too crowded of a market, et cetera, et cetera. And boom, they all went out of business. But there was an underlying amount of innovation that is now social media and internet. Absolutely, uh, and that. Uh, so we we win, we lose, uh, we lose, but then we all actually win at a baseline level when we do that. It's very, it's a very American thing to do. Uh, I would say that the housing bubble that. Uh, burst in 08 was artificially induced by government and uh, and in bad banking behavior. And there wasn't a whole lot of value that was left after the fallout of that bubble. Yeah, and this Fannie is May. why it's been a longer cycle to dig ourselves out of that. Sure. But I mean, you know, I mean, as you and I talked about the other day, I, I was the CEO of a clean energy company back in uh, 09 to 2011. And it was one of those environments where, you know, uh, very, I guess my term is just exploitive. And uh, we went out and it was a heady startup. And, you know, we went out, we actually, we we had some big issues. We regrouped, we overcame them. We went out and we hit an absolute grand slam in the marketplace. And, you know, I paraphrased because it was a lot more complex and ugly and uh, frankly, dishonest than this, but you know, I, it was essentially, I walk in the boardroom and the venture capitalist said, Hey, thanks for teeing us up. We got a new CEO. See you later. And I'm thinking, okay, I've heard of this happening before. And I know that 
you know, contractually I was exposed, but we just hit a grand slam in the marketplace. Why would you do this when we're having success? Sure. But they did. And sadly, the company went bankrupt about six months ago. Well, how'd that work out for you, boys? <laughs> You're uh, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got to a point and I look, I uh, this isn't about me. I think it's an experience that is telling for a lot of Americans. But I had a choice at that moment. I was 49 years old. I had uh, gone through the bankruptcy of United and had lost everything in that bankruptcy. I had regrouped four and a half years after I was, I walked out of the cockpit of an Airbus. I was the CEO of a clean energy company. And I'm like, okay, I'm back. I have retooled my career. I have reinvented myself. I have gone out and used every ounce of my talent, my education, and my experience to go out and, and recover. And here we go. And then all of a sudden it's all taken away from you yet again. And I had a choice in May of 2011. I had a choice. I could have either said, you know what, this is unjust, it's unfair, I got screwed, and uh, I could have wallowed into bitter victimization. Or as hard as it was, and I mean it was hard, I could say, you know what, this is an opportunity. You know, what do people pay me to do? They pay me to start companies now. Mm -hmm. I've just never started one of my own nickel, so maybe this is the opportunity that I needed to say, Mike, go out and start your own company. That's a hard thing. Right to, that's a hard thing to do, though, because when you're somebody that's always been investing within a company as an entrepreneur, to all of a sudden become an entrepreneur is a major shift in mindset. Because, like you said, you're now you're now using talk about risk averse. You're now using your funds to build mm. the uh, the company as opposed to using somebody else's and you know, you, you still, you still have a sense of value to the organization to be a good steward of the company's money to drive top and bottom line results. But it's a little bit different when it's your own dime, because then as an entrepreneur, you have to take on those risks of those decisions a lot, whole lot more than what you would as a member of the company, I guess is what well, I'm and I say. tell people all the time when you're doing it on your own nickel, it is infinitely more terrifying. Absolutely. And, uh, but you know, we do have investors and I got to a point where I said, okay, I'm kind of at the limit of what I can put into this company. You know, I've got two kids that are approaching college and haven't helped me there. <laughs> and so I said, okay, look, I got to hold this powder dry just to survive. And, you know, we have investors and you hit the nail on the head. You use the exact term that I use. I am a steward of their investment. Mm -hmm. And I mean that sincerely. And I go to work every day, not only thinking I am not I'm protecting my own money, but I am a steward of their money. They had the faith in me and this company that they would get a return on their investment. I take that very seriously. And trust me, I have disagreements with some of our investors and some of them at points lose faith and they, you know, and then they may or may not come back in and say, well, now things are going well and we see the, the future and all that. But I uh, recently, we're in a capital round and it's been very difficult and prolonged to raise this capital. And I've had to start pouring my own money back into the company, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an anecdote. A buddy of mine who is a former a six and Hornet driver, brilliant guy and a great mentor and friend to me advisor. He 
he is a serial entrepreneur, has not rung the bell. You know, he's had a couple failures, uh, but he uh, give, may give it a little bit of a longer story because I think it's, it's relevant to what we're talking about. He and I communicate regularly, and uh, he says to me, he texted me, I think around Halloween, and he said, you know, I've left my secure job and I've gone to another startup. They were doing apps for the financial industry, and he texts me and he says, uh, yeah, you know, how are you doing? Let's get together. Uh, my co-founder and his wife just committed suicide. Oh, my goodness. And I texted him. I said, well, let's get together. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I've got a great dev team. Uh, I'm going to get them together and, and see if they want to fold the tent and go home or if they want to try and do something. So I got together with him a little later and he said, yeah, they said, look, we don't, we want to stay together. We love the team. We think we're really good together and we, we don't want to do the financial app. Let's go in and do a app for the craft brew industry. And so, you know, he remortgaged his house and the whole thing and put a bunch of money in. And mm. I met with him uh, shortly after that. And there are a couple things that came out of that. He said, he said, you know, I've been studying the craft brew industry and even though it's a hot market, I've been researching why some craft breweries succeed while others still fail in this robust market. It's a very saturated said, market, yeah. Yeah, the number one correlation to those that succeed over those that fail is simply the determination of the founders to make it a success. Wow. Oh, boy, does that ring true uh, to what we're doing too. And so I said, look, I'm really at a crossroads with this company. You know, we're growing, but we're not cash flowing. I'm having a, it's, I can raise the money, but it's taking longer than I thought. We're out of money. And, you know, gee, I'm thinking about, you know, do I cross that line that I said I'd never cross? Mm -hmm. and, and he just looked at me and said, do you believe in the company? I'm like, absolutely, unequivocally. Then you don't, uh, what's the choice then? And I'm like, okay, you're right. And so you just have to keep fighting for it. And, uh, that is, I think, the true hallmark of an entrepreneur. I, I wake up every day, my feet hit the floor, and I just say to myself, how willing are you to fight for this? Yeah. And the answer is always the same, all the way. I did see, I think it was on LinkedIn, somebody posted some article on LinkedIn, and I was just looking at it in passing, and it had this great graphic. And I, I looked for it later when I had some time, and I couldn't find it, which bothered <laughs> me. But it yeah. was, it was an ice, uh, a graphic of an iceberg. And above the water, of oh, course, I've seen this. said, you know, success and sales and, you know, blah, right. blah, blah, media, right. you know, PR and all that stuff. And then below the line, the water line, it had, you know, failure, uh, out of money, sweat equity, know, hardship, stress. Yeah. And it said what people see in an entrepreneurial venture and what people don't see. Absolutely. And that uh, that is so true. It is, it is a knife fight every single day, but you have to believe, and we do, and we know that, you know what, it's going to happen. I don't, it's the hallmark, here's a hallmark of an entrepreneur. I don't know how it's going to happen, I just know it will. And if we keep fighting for it, then we're going to wind up getting what we need. We're going to generate the sales to cash flow. Then we can innovate, introduce more product, and, you know, it goes from there. But, uh it's tough. Well, it is really tough. You have a different business model today as an entrepreneur than say you did during the dot-com period. Because as you well know, during the dot-com period, your objective primarily was to try to sustain a company long enough to sell it. 
Now, that's not to say as an entrepreneurial type company today that that may not still be on the table and would you know be a great opportunity. But the business model was really defined back then to position it in such a way that somebody would find it attractive to buy it and you'd do it again and again. And hopefully you'd cash your luck in to when the bubble did burst, you would walk away with cash as opposed to somebody who timed it you know, at the wrong time. Um, today, it's about more long-term sustainment. It's about building the credibility within, you know, your marketplace. It's about having the customer base understand what you're trying to produce in terms of quality and value back to them. Those things are a, a very different model than what it was back in the dot-com days. Yeah, you know, Robert, I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's actually very simple in my opinion, but it's going to take me a little bit to explain it to you. When you're in a bubble environment like that and you're focused on the exit strategy uh, you know look every investor wants to know when am I going to get my money and what do you think I'm my money back and how much do you think I'm going to make on it that's a calculation they have to make to invest in anything right but when you're in an environment like the dot-com environment or what was happening in real estate in Denver I could have at 10 o'clock in the morning back in 06, 07, 05, 06, 07, I could have bought a house at 10 o'clock in the morning for $250,000 and at three o'clock in the afternoon sold that for two seventy-five. Oh yeah. Was $25,000 of value really created no. in a matter of hours? No, of course not. That's a bubble. Mm -hmm. People are trying to, to play on the momentum. It's very exploitive. It's like, I'm going to play on the momentum of this thing. I'm going to make money for not creating any value whatsoever in our economy. And I'm going to screw the other guy because they're a sucker because they're going to pay a higher price for this thing of no value than I did. That is a very exploitive environment. And when you are not creating value, if you're taking money out of this economy, that is just a big sucking sound of, of capital power out of our economy. That's where we've been for 15 years now since September 11th. Going back to what we were talking about before, we have a saying at, at Coda Longboards, we are here to do one thing, and that is to create a brand, a company, and a product of value. Because money chases value, value never chases money. Great saying. And so what we are focused on, when you're building a bigger pie, it's because you are creating something that adds value to our society and our economy. It adds value because you bring in a technology to bear that helps people, makes their lives easier, more efficient, more profitable, whatever it is. You're bringing a product to them that makes them feel better about themselves and more confident, ready to go out and be more bold and more uh, risk tolerant and spend money and expand the economy, do something for their community, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, when you're building value, that rolls all the way through not only our economy, but our culture and our society as well. We have been focused on return, not value for the last, you know, since September 11th. And that's what happens when everybody mm -hmm. risks, you know, ratchets into fear and risk aversion. Then you, the only way you can create a return is by trying to figure out some other person that's willing to pay more for something of no value than you're paying for it. Right. And uh, we're now tired of that. I paraphrase my amateur psychological assessment of our economic 40-year economic cycle. The bubble bursts, something happens, we lose confidence, we go into risk aversion. We wallow in that for a while. 
the next phase of psychology, which I did not understand in the late 70s, and I sure as hell didn't understand this time, is we all look to Washington and we say, hey, my life stinks. You guys need to do something to make my life better. Either give me a handout, which everybody needs in certain economic situations, maybe not 96 weeks, but, you know, they need help occasionally. Right. Uh, you know, spur economic growth, get my job back, do something to make my life better. Well, we wallowed in that for an excessively long period of time, and our government gave us one reason after another to remain averse to risk, which prolonged mm -hmm. the stagnation in our economy. Well, the third phase of psychology that we go into, which we're in right now, is when we look at all of those well-intentioned young men and women in, on either side of the aisle and say, you know, realize that even if they had any idea how to make their lives better, which they don't, none of them have an incentive to make our lives better. And so this is where we remember that we're Americans. And as I said before, we don't wallow in self-pity and, and fear. We kick butt around the world. We innovate. We're the leaders. And so if you're not going to make my life better, then I'm going to make my life better. Just leave me the hell alone to do it. And boy, I'll tell you what. That's, if you want to know what happened in 2016, which was a miserable year, that is what happened in 2016. And that gives me a lot of hope going forward because I think people are now shedding off the cloak of waiting for someone else to make their lives better. And they're saying, you know what, I'm going to go out. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. I'm going to be value oriented. I'm going to go out and I'm going to create something or I'm going to do something at my job that is unexpected, but builds value. And uh, I think that's where we are. I don't think the majority of Americans realize that that's where we are, but I think that's where we are. And I think it's very healthy. It's still going to take three or four years for us to see the economic expansion that we saw starting in the late eighties and going through, you know, say 2000, but we are about to go back into that 15 year true value oriented risk return adjusted uh, expansion in our economy. And, and when people look at, uh, it goes back to the entrepreneurial venture, <laughs> you know, uh, or adventure as it may be. When, when I hear someone say, hey, you know, I've, I've got my company perfectly teed up for when the economy turns, uh, I'm looking at them going, okay, uh, you're not an entrepreneur. Right. Because what we're doing right now is what creates economic momentum. And if you don't realize, you can't just sit there and build something and then wait for it. We are actually the ones that are fighting tooth and nail to get economic expansion. I am trying to show people that, look, you know, you never thought you would skateboard at the age of 45 or 50. But our product gives you so much value, both in its performance, its styling, the aura of doing something out of your envelope that I'm going to get you to pry open your wallet and spend that money and start to engage in this activity and join us in this uh, atmosphere, brand atmosphere of honor, courage, integrity, esprit de corps, giving back to the community, building value, all of that, to engage in that community that we're building. And yet I do have to get you to pry open your wallet and spend that money. I've had a lot of people tell me, hey, your product is overpriced. Well, it's not. I can tell you I've done a market study of every longboard skateboard you can buy, and I've done a bell curve, and we're at the 75th percentile. We're not even close to the 90th percentile. So 
we're appropriately priced statistically but we are very well valued you get so much more value out of the price that you're spending on our product and our brand and our clients tell us that all the time they say you know a not only did i not expect that i would ever be buying a longboard skateboard at my age but i love it because it makes me feel more confident makes me feel more energetic more youthful it's so stylish that this thing is i love showing it off to people I love the way I feel other people perceive me like you ride. Yeah, I ride. Don't you? <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, you know, all of that, but they tell us, look, by the time I made my decision to purchase price didn't even factor into the equation. It was about the brand. It was right. about everything that your product brings to me. And I want to be associated with the brand. I want to be a participant in the community outreach that you do as a, as a company you know, we do a lot of um, work with charities in the law enforcement and, and military communities, as well as, you know, children's cancer and, you know, other things that uh, we're passionate about. And uh, our boards, you know, they'll auction for over $1,000 and uh, our record's 3100 for a single board. Wow, that's great. So we do a lot of that, but we also have what we call Carbot for Life which is a PTS healing program for veterans, first responders, their families, uh, even the, uh, uh, the uh, people that work with uh, PTSD, uh, because they suffer from it too, uh, yes. occasionally. Uh, we actually got 501c3 status, and people, people tell me occasionally, they say, you know, why are you, you're not profitable yet. Why do you do all that stuff? <laughs> the answer is, it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, right. It's part of who we are. It's part of what the, the DNA of our company and our brand is. It's the right thing to do. So questions, you know, uh, and that's what our, our clientele, who we just call our family, you know, I always tell people when they buy a board, well, whether you want to be or not, you're part of our family now. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> you know, that, uh, but we say, you know, they always tell us that I want to be, the, the brand makes me feel better than I was before. And, um, I, I love everything about what it stands for, but I also want to be part participant in the community outreach and the give back that you uh, have as a company that, that tells me that that psychological transition, we are right there in the sweet spot of that. Just need to keep it going and we'll get this economy expanding. So what are some of the ways in which individuals are looking or listening to this podcast and going, okay, how can I find out more about Coda Longboard and where can I find information about how to purchase their products? Well, everything, you know, uh, our website is www.codalongboards.com, K-O-T-A, Knights of the Air. So it's just Coda Longboards. Our Facebook page is Coda Longboards. You can find us anywhere in social media or online by looking at K-O-T-A Longboards. Dakota Longboards, and uh, you know we just moved our operation into a new factory in Denver. If anyone's flown through Denver or you live here, please come and see us. We're still getting set up, but we have a beautiful showroom and retail space in the front. It's a really cool place. You know we always love to entertain people. I we I had a very very special part of our family uh, of clients come in this week. He was a is a flight nurse on uh, C-130s in the Air Force. Three years ago, I think, he was over at Bagram, and he emailed me and he said, hey, 
I saw you guys in Outside Magazine, and I went to your website. He's like, I'm over here. I, I want to design a custom longboard for myself. And the, the, the whole endeavor of working with him on this custom design was very, very special. And he kept saying, you know, it's look, this is my link to home and sanity kind of being over here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really understand that. I haven't deployed so many times. I understand that. So we did this really beautiful pour, and at some point he said, uh, "Hey, I'm I'm sending you a package from Bagram." I'm thinking, "Oh, I've got sand. I've been to the <laughs> desert. You know, what, what am I going to get from Bagram?" Right. And uh, I was really honored. We got a FedEx package. I opened it up, and it had a folded American flag and a certificate. Oh, that's great. And they had flown into a combat area to pick up some wounded soldiers. Uh, and medevac them back to Bagram to go to uh, Ramstein, I believe. This was the flag that they flew on that flight, and he wanted us to have it. And that, that still is front and center in our showroom uh, to this day. Well, uh, Sean actually stopped by the factory uh, this week. He was floating through town to do some training, and that happens to us a lot. And we have we have clients that say, hey, I'm coming to Denver I'm going to take the time. I've got to come and see you guys. I want to see everybody that made my board. I want to, I want to come and, you know, just hang out and be a part of the, the family and all that stuff. And we love it when that happens. That's, that that's happens awesome. to us quite frequently. And that's what keeps me going as I'm sitting here writing checks to make payroll. You know, <laughs> that's what keeps me going because sure. even in our darkest hour, I'm like, you know, we have really built something extraordinary here. Yeah. And we've done it on probably a quarter of the money that anyone else would have required in a faster time than other people would have required, too. And so there's no reason in the world why we should not find a way to keep going. And we'll get to cash flow. You know, sooner or later, we'll get to cash flow. A lot of it is just getting more awareness out there. Yeah. I love the story. I love that you spent your time, you know, talking with us today about, of course, your background and history, as well as the whole economy picture. I think it gives a really good insight to our listeners who are either becoming entrepreneurs or thinking about it, or they're just going into the business community and trying to figure out how they're going to add that value back into the, the workplace. It's It's a great story, a great message. I think I could probably talk to you all day, Mike, and I, I think yeah, there's a lot that we could still cover, entrepreneurship and the, the business community that we could probably share additional insights and mentoring. So Absolutely. And, and you know, if you're going to go out there and take that risk, you know, my, my Hornet buddy, I go and I'll just call him up and cry on his shoulder for a while. You know, just thanks for being somebody who I can vent to and, you know. Uh, he's one of those guys. I got another Air Force pilot buddy of mine who's actually staying with me. He's in town right now. He's actually an investor in Coda and a shareholder, but uh, he's here with us now. And I call him up, and I'm just like, God, I just, I just want to vent for a while. So, and they're very patient. But everybody that goes down this path needs someone as a mentor and a shoulder to cry on. And you know, I want to just say that anyone out there that wants to go down this path and start this journey contact me anytime. You know, it's very busy. I, I don't have a lot of free time, but I will do whatever I can to help advise or just be a shoulder to cry on. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, <laughs> we all need it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I'm sure there will be a lot of people that'll take that up. Thanks so much again, Mike, for your time. Enjoyed Robert, it. It was an honor to talk to you and thank you very much for having me on. And I look forward to doing it again sometime. You bet. Take care, my friend. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, 
Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.